Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Michael Wilder. I haven't changed. I'm still me. <laughs> I try to hide from time to time, but uh, other than that. Uh, and we are here again with Paul Nuremberg. But today we're going to talk about the book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. This book has just come out in the last probably the 1st of August, and we talked to uh, Corey Miller and to Ross Anderson, um, but we're going to get into the specifics of what it is that Mormon missionaries teach, and then what is the biblical or Christian response to that Mormon message. Um, I love this book because it goes through what Mormon missionaries use, the Preach My Gospel Manual. It's what they use in order to teach their investigators the Mormon gospel. This has basically not changed for many, many, many years in the Mormon church, what they teach. They begin by explaining why Joseph Smith needed to come and restore a gospel that was lost. So the first thing you're going to learn from Mormon missionaries was that after the first 12 apostles died, the church that supposedly Jesus set up went into a great apostasy, and the early church fathers were apostate, then the Catholics were apostate, the Protestants were apostate, and the original church did not come back until 1830 when Joseph Smith organized the Mormon church that um, Jesus himself threw the angel Moroni, the Book of Mormon, and some other ways brought the original gospel back. This, that is the first chapter uh, that Mormon missionaries, the first discussion that they teach. The second discussion is called the plan of salvation. I think the best visual for the plan of salvation, I will link to it in this episode, is from the Institute for Religious Research. They did a visual of how the whole Mormon how to get saved and where you've been and where you're going kind of thing goes on. Paul's chapter is from what the Mormon missionaries teach in their third discussion or lesson three, and it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, this gospel that Mormon missionaries teach is going to be a different gospel than what the Bible teaches. So, Paul, welcome back and tell us about that gospel that Mormon missionaries teach. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, so I was kind of excited to write the chapter on uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and really excited to, to be involved in this book project. When, when Ross and Corey reached out to us, um, it was a really intriguing opportunity. They, they said they were looking for um, people who were Mormon missionaries at one time. And that's what really what makes this book unique. There are many books written um, to equip Christians on how to witness to Latter-day Saints, but this one is particularly written from the perspective of uh, all authors who were former Latter-day Saint missionaries and, and responding, as you said, Lynn, directly to pre the Preach My Gospel manual. Um, I was not familiar with the Preach My Gospel manual because when I was on my LDS mission, we still used the old discussions, uh, which we memorized. Um, Preach My Gospel, the intent there was to give the, the LDS missionaries a little bit more leeway um, to, 
teach out of order if they needed to, or customize their messages for each discussion to uh, the particular questions that an investigator might have. Um, I do remember when my sister was on her mission uh, in 2003, they piloted it in her mission in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then it first rolled out in 2004. So um, the gospel that Mormons teach is a gospel of doing. Um, I cover that in my in my chapter, and, and, and Micah has done a great job in in, in his book, uh, Passport to Heaven, in, in describing that. Um, and, you know, some Latter-day Saints might push back on me and say, no, I don't believe that's true. Um, we believe in grace. Um, but, you know, when you talk about faith with Latter-day Saints, it's, it's not faith alone, it's faith plus works. Um, and, you know, to kind of dispel a myth that Latter-day Saints often have when, when evangelical Christians will talk about faith alone, what, what Latter-day Saints often hear, um, and sometimes we hear different things based on our own cultures, right? So what a Latter-day Saint hears when, a, when an evangelical Christian will talk about faith alone is, is they'll hear uh, easy believism. They'll hear, oh, you don't believe in, in the Lordship of Christ. You don't believe in following and obeying Christ. Uh, and that's just not true. Um, but the key difference is that uh, we don't believe we are justified by anything we do. Rather, we're justified by the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so the gospel that Mormons teach, like I said, is a gospel of doing. In, in Mormonism, you're often taught that that faith is an action word. It's a verb, right? Michael, you well, look like you wanted to ask a question. No, well, you know, I, I was just thinking about, you know, so many times when uh, – um, you talk with your Mormon friends, especially, you know, having been in leadership, having worked in the Mormon temple for like 10 years, I always like to ask my Mormon friends and I say, okay, guys, okay, so if it's, if, if it's all by grace, you believe in grace, then tell me the function of the temple. Is it optional? Okay. Uh, do you just get to go in the temple and do these works for God? Or do you have to do something to get in the temple? You know, and I said, well, I go to the temple because I want to. I said, well, that's wonderful. Okay, great. But if you don't go to the temple, are you saved in the same way as a Christian is saved? Or do you have to do something extra? And then I always say, but then when you went to the temple, did they just let you in? Did you say to the bishop, hey, I give all of my money, well, not all my, I give 30% of my money to the poor and the needy. And would the bishop say, that's great. Here's a temple recommend. Or would he say, do you pay a full tithe to the LDS church? Big difference. And so they were putting this requirement there. And once you have that requirement, you've taken away grace. Yeah, you've exactly. It works. Um, so. When I, after I left the LDS church and was, you know, kind of doing some more study into Christian history, I studied the Reformation and Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and the other reformers. And, um, you know, I remember learning as a Latter-day Saint a little bit about Martin Luther and, and John Calvin. There, there was one lesson I remember receiving where they were mentioned, and but the message was that they didn't take it far enough. They didn't have priesthood right. authority, right? Right, right. Um, so true. But one of the things that Martin Luther opposed was the selling of indulgences, right? Forgiveness mm -hmm. by buying an indulgence. Uh, you could buy an indulgence ahead of time if you planned to sin. Um, and so, um, you know, that kind of thing was, was unfortunately rampant in, in medieval Europe and, and so, um, or Reformation era Europe. And, 
Martin Luther opposed it. And I remember Latter-day Saints saying, yeah, that's, that's terrible. Why would, you know, reading um, like James E. Talmadge, the great apostasy talks about that. You know, why would you sell indulgences? But when I, after I left the LDS church and I thought about the temple and, and, and tithing, I mean, honestly, that's what Latter-day Saints are doing. Same. You're it's buying exactly your way the into thing. the temple by paying tithing. And if you don't go to the temple, you don't have full salvation, full exaltation in the in the LDS system. And so I I, I really struggle. And, and for Latter Day Saints listening, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I really struggle now to see the difference. Yes, yeah, that is that is so true because you it, again, it was always. I mean, I used to give the temple recommend questions, and. I was one of these old guys who I was always very serious about when I gave the temple recommend questions and I'd sit down with these other people. And before I even finished the question, they would say, yes, no, yes, yes, no. I almost mostly said, well, just, just say all your yes and no's all the way through. And I'll just go ahead and sign your temple recommend because I was always taught that it was a very serious thing to do. And it, some people just like, they just flipped through the thing. And that, that was me. I, I was trying to be a, a righteous holy man, <laughs> but uh, I didn't do a very good job of that. So, uh, so but now I'm just a believer in Jesus. <laughs> so Paul, in your chapter, you have a section here called let's talk about staircases and ladders. And um, this is the part of the gospel, the Mormon gospel under repentance. So so what's required for Mormons here? And if you go through this repentance process, are you then saved? So no, um, repentance in the LDS faith is not a one-time event. Um, and I mentioned in, in the chapter that my co-hosts and I on our podcast, Outer Brightness. It's episode 46, Becoming Perfect, a response to, to Come Follow Me Insights, um, where we respond to a message given by um, two BYU professors who were talking about repentance in the LDS faith. And um, one of the professors uh, likens repent the repentance process to a staircase, likens to a, a long spiral staircase. And they even in their video showed a long and never ending spiral staircase that we continually have to climb uh, and we fall back down and we climb again and we fall back down and we climb again. Um, and this reflects something that Joseph Smith said um, where he re referred to their system almost like a ladder. And I cover that quote in my chapter as well. Um, and so again, repentance is not a one-time event. And for me, uh, my own experience with that was that as I went out on my LDS mission, um, there were things that uh, I had confessed. So in, in, the, in the LDS faith, you're taught that certain sins are so serious that you have to confess them to your priesthood leaders, to your bishop, and possibly to your stake president as well. Um, and there may be disciplinary actions taken against you um, if you uh, sin in a serious way. And um, so you have this in mind that uh, if it's, if it's a sin that's not so bad, you can repent of it yourself. You can pray and ask for forgiveness. Um, but if it is serious, you have to go to your priesthood leader. And so as I went out on my LDS mission, um, I was constantly feeling this dread that uh, there was something that maybe I forgot to repent of, or maybe, maybe 
just maybe the confession I did with my bishop before my mission wasn't enough. I'm not having success on my mission. I'm not reaching people. Maybe that's because I'm not fully forgiven. You know, and you have these these feelings of anxiety and dread, and and you're constantly uh, in this have this sense that um, you're not going to make it. My mom, uh, you know, even up until uh, near the end of her life, uh, when we would have conversations, she would she would talk about the celestial kingdom, which is. Uh, said to be the highest tier of the the LDS view of heaven, uh, the one where God and Jesus live. And she would always say to me, you know, I, I don't know that I've done enough to make it there. And, it, you know, at that time I had left the LDS church and it would break my heart because uh, she was fully reliant on her own things that she had done um, to get there. And, and that's because of the way the way the system is taught. It starts with faith, which I said before, is not just a, it's not just a trust in Jesus for your salvation. It's an action verb as you're taught in the LDS faith. Um, so faith leads to action and the actions that you're supposed to take are first repentance, mm -hmm. then baptism. Um, then you receive the gift of the Holy ghost. Um, and then temple ordinances, right? And in the temple, there's, um, the endowment is the first ordinance you receive. Uh, marital sealing is the second. Um, and then beyond that, there's a second anointing uh, that not everyone receives. It's a by invitation only uh, ordinance that some people receive once they've proven themselves to be faithful enough to the LDS church. Um, and it's not until you receive that second anointing that in the LDS system, you can have uh, your calling and election made sure the way that they teach it. Um, so until you so sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I want I want to camp on this point for a second. So what you're saying is there is no assurance of salvation in this life for someone who's Mormon. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um then when is there salvation? When does that happen in the Mormon system? It may never come. <laughs> I mean, the, the quote that I shared from Joseph Smith in the chapter, he said. When you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned them. It is not to be comprehended in this world. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. And so. You know, that, that you contrast that teaching with, um, you know, the Bible that teaches uh, that those who are in Christ have peace with God, right? That broken relationship has been healed. Uh, as Paul says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God when we're in Christ Jesus. And it's a very different gospel that's taught. Yeah. That assurance freed me like nothing else in my life. I have a daughter-in-law that, that said that when she got to be eight in Mormonism and she, and then her sins count, so she has to be baptized and washed clean, 
but you're sinning every day. So she said as a child, she was just neurotic every night to try to remember every sin she'd possibly done. And then every Sunday when they pass the sacrament, right, you're supposed to repent of all your sins from the week so that you can keep yourself clean. And this constantly trying to wash yourself, wash yourself, wash yourself. But no one can do that. We can't even remember, right, or right. be aware of what we've done, let alone ever get there. So this is this anxiety that you're explaining that for me, when I came to Christ, the Christ of the Bible and understood grace, all of that went away, mm -hmm. was the greatest change and the biggest burden. And it caused me not to see others judgmentally, right? I This idea that I was forgiven, that I was loved, allowed me to offer that to other people. And it was so freeing and such a better way to live. Yeah. You know, what's sure. important, uh, so many times the uh, LDS people say, well, you're just free to sin. You know, you believe in cheap grace. And... Uh, if there's one thing that will get me upset is when somebody says cheap grace, because I say there's nothing that Christ did on the cross that was cheap. He gave it all. So don't even go down that road. But the fact is that, you know, it, it, you know, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If we read Ephesians 2, 10, it, it states that we are now created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's a byproduct of being saved. Once we are saved, we want to do the best we can. Not because we have to, because God is now in us. And now we're seeing the difference. Yeah, we still make mistakes. We still, you know, can't quite do this. We still get angry. Um, you know, I always tell people, well, if you drive in Utah and you're going up and down Highway, highway 15, there, there can't be a person driving that has a temple recommend. Uh, because it, it's crazy, you know, people are flying or weaving in and out and everything else. But, but I, I love the, the concept of the ladder. And, you know, I've heard that so many times. And I always tell people, it says, I myself, you know, there's a ladder there and I'm incapable of coming up out of the ladder. I am, I have broken legs. I have broken arms. I am dead in my sin. And all I can do is cry out for God to save me. And Jesus, the beautiful thing in Christianity is that Jesus comes down that ladder, <laughs> picks you up in your sin, becomes sin for us, and carries us up the ladder. And the fact yeah. that we have to do it ourselves, it makes the, the gospel impossible. So uh, great, great job in your chapter in explaining that. It's just like, whoa, you know, it's it's a difference. But, but cheap grace... That that's yeah. a terrible thing to say because yes. there's nothing cheap about what he did. And we cannot even begin to comprehend a person who is without sin becomes sin for us, what he had to go through. We 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 can't even go yeah. there on that one. So. Amen. And you know, your your sons and uh, with the message that they bring through their Adams Road ministry, um, I know they hear from Latter-day Saints, and I hear from Latter-day Saints who will say, you know. You're, you're wrong. We don't believe that we earn our salvation. Um, and I, I would just comment on the, the cheap grace accusation. If, if you're making that accusation that uh, non-LDS Christians believe in cheap grace, aren't you suggesting that you pay for what you get? 
<laughs> you are. So it, it reveals the mindset when they make that accusation. Yeah. That's a really good point. I love that. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to say on the grace? If not, I want to move to this um, talk. Let's talk about companionship of the Holy Ghost, this whole baptism of fire idea, because this is very different between Mormonism and biblical faith. Yeah, it is. Um, so in, in the Mormon uh, mode of salvation, um, you're baptized. If you're if you're a Mormon child who was born into the faith, as you mentioned, Lynn, you you typically do that when you're eight years old. Um, and if you're a convert to Mormonism, you you do it at whatever age you've met with the missionaries and, and come into Mormonism. Um, and then there's a separate ordinance where a priesthood holder will lay their hands on your head and um, say a blessing. And one of the things they say to you is receive the Holy Ghost. Um, but you're taught constantly in the LDS faith that uh, the companionship of the Holy Ghost is conditional upon your obedience. Right. That if you grieve the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will leave you. Um, and the the teaching about the Holy Ghost in the LDS faith is that it the Holy Ghost's role is to give you the strength and the power that you need to obey um, and to keep the commandments and to ultimately become sanctified and glorified. Um, but if the teaching is that the Holy Ghost leaves you any time that you're not obedient, then the messaging there is that to keep the Holy Ghost with you, you have to be perfect or the Holy Ghost will leave. And what does that make a person feel if they're, if they're taught that the Holy Ghost will leave them if they're not perfect and the Holy Ghost is supposed to be the one that strengthens them and helps them? It, it kind of leaves you feeling like you're on your own, which is why someone like my mom would, would often say, I don't feel like I've done enough. I don't think I can make it. And that's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. That, you know, it's so true. I, I remember being with uh, men who, you know, 85 years old, uh, active member in the LDS church their whole lives. And they're on their deathbed. Mm -hmm. And they would say, I hope I've done enough. And Brothers and sisters, that is not the good news. That that is frightening to realize. You get to the end and you say, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if I made it or not. And what's the verse you love, Lynn? Uh, in John, is it five twenty four? Um, quote that if you, if you can remember. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged or not come under judgment. In other words, you're judged at the point of faith um, and will cross over from death to life. When I read that, I realized I could cross over now in this life. Um, the Holy Spirit would enter me and never leave me. And that was such a great comfort. So a couple of things about your recent conversation, you're saying that how's the Holy Spirit a comforter? He's actually kind of a punisher if he's leaving you all the time, if you're doing something wrong. Well, the definition of grace too in Mormonism is an enabling power that God gives you basically so that you can live the commandments, so that you can do it. Again, the idea that you're pretty much on your own. The other thing that always blew me away, when I realized 
God the Father had a body of flesh and bone that confined him materially, couldn't be omnipresent, then I'm thinking, well, surely the Holy Ghost of Mormonism is omnipresent. I go and I look in the Gospel Essentials Manual, which is what they teach to new members, and it says even the Holy Spirit is not omnipresent. He's kind of like this spirit man guy, and his influence can shine down like the sun, but he can't be all places at once. Jesus can't be all places at once. Father can't be all places at once. We're talking about a very different Godhead and particularly a very different Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the whole point about omnipresence is is an interesting one. My my co-host on Outer Brightness, Matthew, and I um, this week released uh, an episode called "The Missing Mormon Omni," uh, and we we're not talking about uh, the the Book of Mormon character who wrote three verses and moved the the plot forward two hundred and seventy six years. We're talking about the fact that, as Lynn pointed out, uh, Latter Day Saint teaching doesn't really teach that God. Jesus or the Holy Ghost is omnipresent. And so we talk about uh, the importance of omnipresence in, in Christian understanding and biblical teaching. Um, and we cover uh, some of the biblical passages that touch on that, uh, such yeah. as uh, the Psalms. And the Psalms, David said, you know, where can I go, Lord, from your presence? Um, if I descend into hell, you are there. Um, that that teaching that God is everywhere, uh, it's a it's a humbling teaching, but it's a powerful one. Yeah, um, yeah. because yeah, when God if, says, lo, I'm with you, when Jesus says, lo, I'm with you until the end of the age, and I will never leave or forsake you, uh, there's power in that when you understand the omnipresence of God. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, Lynn has mentioned this many times, but I, I remember, uh, gosh, how many times have I gone through the temple endowment? It's, it's amazing. But, uh, I can still remember when God, when, when Adam is praying, you know, when he's going through his procedure, and he prays and God doesn't hear him. It's just like, who answers Adam in the temple? It's Satan. And like, whoa, let's see. So I'm praying. Adam's praying. I'm supposed to be like Adam. I'm praying to God and Jesus, nor Heavenly Father, he hears me. But the Satan comes and says, here I am. I am the God of this world. What do you want? Like, whoa, that's, that's not biblical, is it? <laughs> so. It's it's amazing their different understanding of of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Uh, just it's it's a it's a different God. We just have to come out and say yeah. it. It's Mormonism. You know, Mormons don't like to hear this, but it it is a different God. It is a different Jesus because their nature is different than the, what's defined in the Bible. And yeah. we are out of time. And so, Paul, thank you so much. I, again, refer you to the book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. We will carry this with us now when we speak in churches and make it available to people on our website. Excellent book we recommend. And thank you for what you do, Paul. Um, Grace and peace to you, friends. Until next time. Thank you so much, Paul, too. May God bless.